we're in Lent, and uh, I said there were these two questions that the prayer book asked us uh, to, to focus on uh, that you guys can see here, that, um, that we are. One is uh, that we would renew, or challenges, one that we would renew our repentance, which um, in the older language is renew our resolve to turn away from darkness. And secondly, uh, the invitation in the prayer book for Lent is to renew our confession which is, um, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, is to renew, sorry, our awareness of the unseen. <laughs> I'm messing up Lynn for everybody. Sorry. So renew our repentance and renew our faith, which is our um, confidence in the unseen. And so um, instead of hearing from me uh, talk throughout Lynn, what I'd like to do is, is invite people from our community to, to answer those questions. How are we renewing our repentance and our faith? This is Vaughn and Taryn Jost. They have been house church leaders, section leaders. They've pretty much done everything that you can do at Bloom, I think. And uh, she's on the podcast, Taryn is. And, and uh, they used to be the, the potluck people that asked us to bring pot. We will do that again. But they're just incredible people and, um, and full of the love and the grace of Christ. And so they're going to share with us this morning. And um, it's going to be really good. So take it away. Good morning, Bloom. Um, so Taryn and I are teachers, so it's not unusual for us to sit or stand in front of a group of people and talk. Um, what is a little odd for me, though, is I'm used to y'all being 14-year-olds who do everything you can to avoid eye contact with me. So um, the, the eye contact has thrown me for a little bit of a loop, but I'll, I'll get used to it here. Um, when Dave asked Taryn and I if we'd share this morning, he asked that we would share a little bit about the gospel passage. And so I'll do that here for a few minutes, and then we'll tag team those other two questions that Dave mentioned. Um, as we pick up the story in the Gospel of John, we have Jesus and his disciples that are walking through Samaria, and they stop at Jacob's well. The disciples head into town, grab some food, and Jesus has this interaction with the woman who's also at the well. And I've always loved this passage. I find it incredibly compelling, um, challenging, for sure, surprising. When we read it at just the surface level, we already can tell that people are surprised by the way that Jesus is interacting with this woman. But then when we dig a little bit deeper, we actually can sort of start to get a sense of how really truly subversive this passage is and this interaction is. And so um, what's unexpected in this story is that Jesus is boldly going where no man would have gone during his time period because of the boundaries and the boxes that the society had put up. For one, there's a significant social boundary that Jesus crosses as he interacts with this woman. Uh, it's a patriarchal society, and so men and women wouldn't have been interacting with each other as equals. And then add to that the fact that this woman has a checkered past, or at least that's how it was presented, right? And even present. And so a Jewish male, especially a rabbi figure like Jesus was, probably wouldn't have been interacting with this woman. And we get a sense of that, right, as the disciples come back and are shocked to see Jesus interacting. Um, I love that they're, they kind of nudge each other and are like, don't say anything. We just, they already knew by this point, you just let Jesus do what Jesus is going to do without asking too many questions. But they're clearly surprised, right, that Jesus is having this interaction, that he crossed this social boundary. But when we dig a little bit deeper, um, there's, it's, there's another surprise here because the text tells us that this is a Samaritan woman. And if you know 
that some of the history of Jews and Samaritans, you know that these two people groups have no love lost for each other. Um, there's a deep political divide that existed between them. And going back into Old Testament history a little bit, um, I don't know if you remember the, the United Kingdom of Israel. So it would have been, you know, the King, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, um, one united Israel. And in Jewish minds, this was like the glory days of Israel, even though there were definitely things that weren't so glorious about it all the time. But um, in Jewish minds, those were, those were the good old days. And then political turmoil set in. The kingdom split into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom of Israel was eventually conquered by the Assyrians. And when the Assyrians came in, they, they took a lot of the Israelites into exile. Some of them stayed behind and intermarried with this godless group of Assyrian um, people. And these were the people that eventually became known as Samaritans through the years, and that northern region was the region of Samaria. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom of Judah, they felt like they were the true descendants of Israel. They also went into exile for a period, but some of them came back and reestablished the temple, true worship, and so by the time we get to Jesus' day, um, those that um, were sort of descendants of Judah, the southern kingdom, felt like they were the true descendants. They were the faithful Israelites. And the Samaritans were half-breeds. They used terrible language that was less than human um, to degrade each other. And so when the passage says that Jews don't associate with Samaritans, it was kind of like the understatement of the year. Um, they despised each other, right? These two groups. So there was a massive political barrier between the two. Again, Jesus walks right through that political wall that existed and interacts with this woman. And then there was a third barrier closely tied to, to politics, as it usually is, was the religious barrier that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, when the kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom said, hey, we don't want to go down to Jerusalem anymore and worship in the temple. We want to set up our own place of worship in the northern kingdom. And this was a major no-no. Uh, any good Jew knew that the only correct place to worship was in Jerusalem, in the temple. And so there was this major religious barrier that, that existed and sort of developed through the years between Samaritans and Jews based on some deep religious convictions about how to worship, about... Uh, what scriptures to use and how to use them. So again, like deep convictions, deep religious convictions, and Jesus, again, aware of all this, walked straight through the religious barrier of that day as well. And I think that's what makes this passage so compelling, challenging, and incredibly beautiful, is that Jesus comes up against all of the walls that society had built during that day, and he walks straight through them and, and engages this woman as a fellow human being. And the results of that are fascinating. If we look at how this woman responded, um, right away, they have a conversation about the woman's past, about her relational history it comes to the surface. And, and Jesus actually lays it all out right there in front of her. Um, he names it with her, and yet there's no indication that she feels unsafe in that interaction or shamed. Instead, she's intrigued, and she asks more questions, and she ends up running back to town and telling everybody, hey, you have to come experience this person that I've met. Come experience him for yourselves. 
Because when Jesus walks through the walls that people in his day had set up, the result is that he creates this space that's safe, um, that's welcoming. Um, people experience freedom and grace. And in the most holistic sense of the word, I think, salvation. So one more quick note on this passage before I hand the mic to Taryn. I'd be remiss as a, a father of four daughters and a husband of an incredibly gifted wife if I didn't highlight the fact that this woman's voice and her testimony is lifted up by the gospel writer and led, quote, many people from the town believing in Jesus. How awesome is it that the gospel of John lifts up the power of this woman's voice in spite of all the reasons why her society at the time and quite frankly, some of ours as well would probably try to silence that woman's voice. So this story is a beautiful picture of how the kingdom of God works and how it plays out through the words and the actions of Jesus as he encounters this woman. And so we want to move into those two questions that Dave gave us. The first is, uh, in what ways are you renewing your repentance? And the second is, in what ways are you renewing your confidence in the unseen? And Taryn's going to go first. Interestingly enough, um, when I heard these questions, um, yeah, it just was ironic that in the in this in the last couple of years, I've been in a season of um, actually processing repentance and how I experience um, this practice, and it kind of started um, as a result of a conversation that I was having with a friend who lives in Kansas and. We, because of the distance between us, Vox, I don't know, does that probably totally date me? My girls are dying right now. Um, <laughs> it's a great app. Um, it's like Marco Polo without the video. I mean, even better. And so, um, anyways, we Vox throughout the week with each other, um, just sharing on a heart level what we're thinking and how we're experiencing God. And um, at the time, Kimberly, my friend, was sharing with me some hard things that she was going through and she kept talking about going to the Lord in repentance and the thing is though that as she talked about it she would say it with such um, freedom and hope and even peace as she shared about meeting God in these times and it was so inspiring to me to listen to her talk like this because it was just not something I had ever experienced that I found myself thinking, I want to experience Jesus in this way. What do I have that I could repent of and maybe have the same experience that she was having? Um, and I stepped back even more and started to ask myself, why am I not having this same experience? Why am I not quickly running? Why is that not one of the first places I go when I'm in a challenging time or when I've identified some brokenness in my life? Um, I'm sure it's no shock to, to many of you when I share that for me, the practice of repentance was much more connected to feelings of shame. I'm a two on the Enneagram, so that makes total sense. Um, and I don't think it's uncommon for a lot of us. Um, but repentance for me often felt more um, like something I needed to do, not necessarily as a punishment, but maybe more as like a payment 
for whatever I had done that I was repenting of. And that payment came in the form of the shame that I needed to feel for the thing that I had done wrong. Um, and it's obviously super dysfunctional and unhealthy. Um, but that's what we do. I think we create these false narratives that we um, live under. Um, and by the grace of God, um, was able to start naming this and recognizing it for myself. And so as I sat with that and looked at what is the difference between my experience and Kimberly's, um, I recognized that how we view God deeply impacts how we approach repentance. How we, did I say reproach? How we approach repentance. Um, and if Jesus is the truest reflection of God, our father, mother, then scripture suggests through Jesus that God sees us and that he's kind and he's gentle and he's loving and he's quick to forgive. He's the one that longs to bring healing to us and life and even salvation. Um, and we see a number of these characters played out through Jesus um, as he interacts with the woman at the well. He truly saw the Samaritan woman. And he seems to create a safe place for her, safe enough for at least to tell a half-truth about her brokenness when she confesses that she doesn't have a husband. And yet, even in this part of the conversation, Jesus takes things a step further, and he pretty much just lays it all out there, and he clarifies for her, you're right, you don't have a husband, you've had five, and the current guy you're living with, you're not married to. Um, and he just kind of strips it down. And so talk about feeling vulnerable. Um, Jesus really got to the heart of where she was at. And yet, I have to believe that the nature of this conversation, that Jesus was speaking with the woman, um, not out of condemnation, but out of invitation. That he was drawing her to him, and he was drawing her to life, and he was drawing her to salvation. And if this is the God that we serve, then it is no wonder why Kimberly would run to him in repentance. For in repentance, she found a safe place to show her face, and she was met in love with forgiveness, and she was led towards healing in life. And so I want nothing more than that for myself. And um, as a result, I've been practicing repentance in a new way, which is essentially to see repentance as an invitation towards life, a practice that allows me to show my face, which is still hard, as you can see without shame and to open myself up to not only the forgiveness of God but also the healing work of his hand to see repentance as a kind gentle generous invitation to grow more fully into who he has created me to be and I think we call it a practice because that's what it is and it takes practice and the more that I practice repentance the more freedom and intimacy I experience with God. And so this whole journey and experience actually leads right into the second question that Dave gave us, which is in what ways are you renewing your confidence in the unseen? And I'm just reminded of the role that community plays in helping renew my confidence in the unseen. 
living in community with Kimberly, albeit long distance, and bearing witness to her approach in repentance opened up my eyes to a truer understanding of God. Getting to um, experience house church with our community and listening to others and how they sense God moving in them through Lectio each week encourages me on a deep level. Even when I'm holding space with somebody who is grieving, when all we can do at that time is pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. In spite of the pain, I'm continually drawn to God and more of his kingdom through that communal experience. And so as a community, I fully believe this is a role that we play for each other, reminding each other of who God is and who we are in him and therefore renewing our confidence in the unseen. Just reflect for a couple of minutes on um, where I'm also experiencing renewed repentance. And for me, it ties in closely with those three boundaries that Jesus walked through, um, the social, the political, and the religious. I've always been particularly inspired by uh, expressions of faith that break down social barriers. I grew up in a very conservative small community in the Bible Belt, middle of nowhere, Kansas. And um, I remember my freshman year in that church, we had a new youth pastor come to town. Um, Rod was his name, and he had, I'll give you a quick picture, the most amazing mullet flowing halfway down to his shoulder blades. Um, played a mean slap bass, incorporated, you know, Pink Floyd lyrics into any youth group message he gave. Um, so I'm dating myself tremendously with all of those references. But you get the idea. Um, kids came flocking because he had this incredible ability to break down social barriers. And so he became my mentor in ministry. Um, I've always been inspired by those types of, of ways to break through social barriers in ministry. Um, I was talking with Jan at our house church the other day. Jan's one of our members. Um, I don't know if we have members in house church, but... Uh, <laughs> And she was just saying how, for her, how compelling the open table is. And I just agree, the way that it breaks down barriers. Um, but for me, the other two, namely the, the religious and political barriers, are more challenging for me personally to navigate. Um, and that, for me, is where some repentance comes in. Like I said, I spent the first half, we spent the first half of our lives in um, the middle of nowhere, Kansas. In, and we had... Um, yeah, we lived and worked and had deep, deep relationships uh, with people in that, that very conservative part of the world. Fast forward to 2008, then we moved our lives out here, and now we have very, very different uh, relationships and experiences as uh, we work in school districts, and I'm in an urban district, and so on. Um, so my experiences have changed dramatically. Um, my, some of my convictions have changed um, dramatically as well. And just speaking for myself, and honestly, this is a, a little bit, I was a little nervous to even share this this morning. Um, I find it really challenging just to navigate between the two worlds that, that we still have deep relationships and family members um, in, in both. After spending decades in each of those two spaces, what I've noticed is that in both of them, um, the methods and the rhetoric feel very similar to me. And namely, that is, the tendency is to, to plant your flag in the ground, whatever it is, theological or political, whatever the ideology, right? And then villainize the other. 
and you know degrade them, make them out to be idiots at best, less than human at worst. And to be honest, um, as I navigate those spaces, sometimes I feel my own soul kind of getting that gravitational pull into those same methods. Because I do have strong feelings about different things, theologically, ideologically. Um, but I also feel really drawn to Jesus' way, which I think takes a more subversive, countercultural path forward. It's one that walks through those walls that humans set up. And again, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I know that systemic injustices um, are real and that there's so much wisdom that's needed. I know that traumatic experiences are real and there's a ton of discernment that's needed. And still, Jesus walks through walls. Um, and so I want more of that in my own life and I'm getting emotional too about my own area of repentance. Um, I have a ton of questions about the details, what that looks like, but I know that I want more of that in my own life. And so just to wrap up, my hope in the unseen, that last phrase that Dave threw out, comes from believing that we as a community of Jesus followers have the ability to discern the way of Jesus together. And that led by God's spirit, I believe that we have something to offer a deeply, deeply divided world. I'm hopeful that we as the church can follow Jesus through the barriers that human beings are constantly setting up and that we can be a significant part of creating space where all people can experience freedom and kindness and love the way that this woman did with Jesus at the well. So Bloom, we just want to give you a minute to sit and to start reflecting on these two questions that I believe we're going to keep in front of us for the next couple of weeks. Um, as you close your eyes or take whatever posture is comfortable for you, um, take some time to ask yourself, in what ways are you renewing your repentance? And in what ways are you renewing your confidence in the unseen? <laughs>